This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Much has been made during the debates and on the campaign trail about taxes, both personal and corporate. And taxes are one of the most important issues in this election. But what are the details of the plans and which candidate may have a better option? Joining us to take a look at this, James Hines Jr. is a law professor at the University of Michigan. He's also co-director of the Law and Economics program there, as well as research director at the Office for Tax Policy Research at the school. And also joining us, Bob Williams, who is a fellow at the Urban Brookings Tax Policy Center at the Urban Institute. Uh, Jim, Bob, great to have you both on the show with us. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Uh, Jim, I'll start with you. When you look at the at both tax plans, what is it that really jumps out at you? And uh, really, who seemingly has the advantage right now? <laughs> well, the big difference is that Mr. Trump would cut taxes, you know, massively relative to what Secretary Clinton is talking about. So his plan involves you know, uh, vastly lower individual rates, uh, corporate and business tax rates, um, quite a bit reduced tax collections on the order of $5 trillion over the budget window. And, uh, you know, it's just a huge tax cut. Uh, the uh, And it would have to be said that both Mr. Trump and Secretary Clinton's plans are kind of evolving every week. Right. You know, they're sort of tossing out uh, different ideas. Um, Secretary Clinton has talked mostly about um, increasing the taxes on the very high income part of the population. Um, there is some tax relief for uh, middle and lower income families with uh, child care uh, credits and stuff, but it's pretty modest in scope. Uh, primarily, her tax plan is a tax increase on you know, people in the top 1% of the income distribution. Uh, and, in, of course, there are details uh, that we're glossing over here, but right. that's the big difference. Uh, Trump, huge tax cut for really every income group. Uh, and, of course, most of the benefit of that would go to high-income people because they pay most of the taxes. Right. Uh, but uh, Secretary Clinton, tax increase on high-income people and sort of modest relief for especially families with children. Bob, who, who do you think has, has the advantage in your mind with, with laying out these philosophies? Because as, as uh, was just mentioned with, with James, I mean, you're seeing tax breaks all across the, the Trump plan. You're seeing a tax increase mainly on the, on the high end of the scope, uh, but not sig- significant or, or much of any tax breaks on, uh, on the majority uh, of Americans right now. Right, well, as Jim said, uh, these plans are evolving and certainly would change if either candidate were elected uh, and actually had to deal with Congress to negotiate an actual uh, full tax plan. Um, the, the night and day differences between these two plans, one, as Jim pointed out, is a big tax cut. Uh, we estimate it's larger than Jim suggested. Uh, we estimate $6.2 trillion revenue loss over 10 years. Uh, in contrast, uh, Secretary Clinton's plan would raise about $1.5 trillion of additional revenue over the same period of time. So one's a big tax cut, one's a moderate tax increase. Uh, as Jim said, the tax increase, Clinton's plan would hit only people at the top end of the distribution. Families with young children would do a little bit better because she'd expand the child tax credit, doubling it for families with children under age five. 
and she'd make it a little easier for low-income families to collect the child credit. Uh, Trump's plan would cut taxes for almost everybody. Uh, there is a big hole in his plan for single-parent families and larger married couple families. Uh, the way that he's designed things, those uh, families would actually see tax increases. And uh, I, I don't know whether that was mistaken in the way they designed the plan or whether they intentionally did that, but that, that in fact, is the case. Somewhat more than uh, 7 million families would see tax increases because of some changes in the personal uh, exemptions and the standard deduction. And uh, so, so it's night and day. Big tax cut for almost everybody with, with Trump. The biggest tax cuts would be at the top, not just in dollar terms, but in terms of what would happen to people's incomes. Right. People at the bottom of the income, would see, uh, the income distribution would see their income would go up a percentage point or two. People at the top would get about a 14% increase in after-tax income, a big, big increase for the richest people. James, I guess then the, the question to be asked off of that is, is the impact potentially on the economy that each one of these plans would have? And obviously we're at a time where uh, the, the the budget deficit is is pretty soon going to be approaching $20 billion or trillion dollars. Uh, the the national debt, you mean? The, yeah. the debt, I'm sorry, yeah. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we're currently running a deficit of about uh, $550 billion a year, which is projected to rise. And so in that environment, you know, turning around and doing a huge tax cut, um, you know, that's a challenging uh, situation. I mean, and, you know, not to be gloom and doom about it, but you've got, you've got a heck of a lot of federal debt currently uh more than three quarters of gdp is held by the you know in debt is held by the public which is uh the only other time the country's ever had that much debt was during world war ii and it's you know immediate aftermath uh you got unfunded entitlements you know with uh social security and medicare that we have not really dealt with yet and you got a huge uh federal deficit currently that's projected to rise, especially once interest rate, you know, CBO is projecting will rise once interest rates go a little bit higher than they are now. So um, it's a challenging situation. Frankly, in that situation, uh, as, you know, as Bob points out, Congress has to enact these tax plans. The president can't do it by themselves. Right. And you've got to ask the question, in this environment, would Congress really go for a five or six trillion dollar tax cut, given all the deficits we've Got so it's sort of hard to believe that it would actually get enacted as described, um, you know, because like it's seldom the case that Congress turns around and enacts whatever the president proposed on the campaign trail. Sure, yeah. But also, like in this environment, you're really going to cut taxes by five or six trillion dollars. I mean, the only way you can do that is if you have a really significant spending cut to accompany it. We're joined uh, by uh, James Hines, Jr. of the University of Michigan, and also Bob Williams, a senior fellow at the Urban Brookings Tax Policy Center at the Urban Institute. Your comments about the presidential tax plans are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Bob, I guess then the question off of that, and and you spent some time uh, working with the Congressional Budget Office, is with... With a, a federal deficit so large uh, at, at this point, uh, and it, it was something that President Obama wanted to address during his time in office, and seemingly, you know, that hasn't been tackled to the point uh, that it needed to be. From your perspective, what are some of the things that the, that the country may need to look at in terms of trying to knock down a, a, that, that $20 trillion deficit? Well, as Jim pointed out, the big thing that's going to happen to the deficit going forward is a rise in the interest rates, which will increase the cost of servicing the debt, the interest we pay on the debt, plus 
the rapid retirement of baby boomers over the next few years will boost the spending on Social Security and Medicare to very, very high levels. We've done nothing to address either one of those questions. We've got this big, looming increase in deficits that will balloon the debt even more if we don't address it. And neither candidate has addressed that uh, problem. Uh, Neither has proposed a way to deal with it. Uh, Yesterday at the Tax Policy Center, we had an event where representatives from each campaign talked about the tax plans. And the representatives from the Trump campaign uh, said their plan was going to solve the problem of the deficit by um, generating lots and lots of economic growth. They said that uh, they would deal with international trade, they would deal with uh, a number of different things, they would uh, cut cut regulations, that everything would make the economy grow very rapidly. It's hard to believe that really would be the case. Um, but that is their argument that they, the, that's how they deal with the five trillion, six trillion dollar uh, deficit that they'd run up with the tax cuts alone. Uh, the macroeconomic estimates, uh, the tax foundation has uh, said that the, there will be some growth with the Trump plan, not enough to balance the budget, uh, but balance to pay for the tax cuts. Uh, we are next week going to come out with our own analysis. It's actually based on work done with folks at Wharton, uh, the uh, Penn Wharton. Uh, budget model. Right. Yep. We'll look at the macroeconomic effects uh, of the plan, and we uh, we'll see what that does. Our expectation is that neither plan will have much effect on the economy as a whole. The Trump plan would not, because it's uh, the big deficits it would generate would crowd out private investment. Would the government would be trying to borrow money to pay for those bigger deficits? And that would make it hard for the economy to grow. We wouldn't have the infusion of cash to the private sector that uh, is necessary for growth. On the Clinton side, it's a really modest tax increase uh, that's not likely to affect the economy very much in either way. So back to your question, what is this going to do for the deficits going forward and and dealing with the debt? Nothing. (laughs) It won't solve the problem. And we've got a big problem that's coming forward. The the challenge that we have is... You know, think about uh, old age survivors and disability insurance, you know, the Social Security plan uh, and Medicare. Uh, Social Security is a bigger program than Medicare, but Medicare's got um, the more dramatic funding shortfall, you know, as a percentage of the program than Social Security does. But they're both they're both, you know, face these challenges. Here's the problem. It's not complicated how you address Social Security. You've got to either raise the taxes or you've got to cut the benefits. It's not that complicated. Right. And, you know, as they say in the movies, we can do this the hard way or we can do this the easy way. Well, uh, and, and, and unfortunately, those are two options that probably wouldn't sit well with voters right now, either way you look at it. No, nobody wants that. Of yeah. course they don't. Yeah. On the other hand, like, you know, you're left either addressing the issue or just hoping for magic. And uh, there is no such thing as magic. So, um you know, the easy, the better way to address these issues is to do so in a long-run way that is fair to different generations and, you know, uh, preserves all the great things you get from these programs. But um, it's, you know, living in denial is, uh, is probably not the way to do it. Now, that said, uh, you don't necessarily have to campaign on it in order to do it right. once you're in office. President Reagan, you know, uh, when he was president, they uh, impaneled the Greenspan Commission and they did some major Social Security reforms in the early 80s. And he did not campaign on that. Uh, but, you know, but they did it. And hopefully whoever gets elected will take a long, hard 
clearer look at these problems. The, the concern I have with, with that, uh, James, is the fact that this has seemingly been an issue that has kind of been bumped down the road for many years now. And seemingly, it, it feels like it's it, it's such of a political hot potato that whoever gets into the office may want to just continue to bump it down the road and kind of pass the buck to the next president, which you can't do at this point. Well, I mean, the Medicare Trust Fund is projected to have a negative balance in 2028, yeah. which is 12 years from now. Yeah. Social Security is only six years after that. Yeah. And that's when the rubber hits the road, uh, because by law, uh, they then have to cut benefits if you can't raise taxes. And actually, the problem is worse than that, because already we're running deficits in the programs. We're, we're not bringing enough revenue in to cover the cost today. We're living off the trust funds that were built up over the years, right. which means we're really having to borrow more money to pay for things since there's not really money in the trust fund. Are we in a situation uh, right now, Bob, where because we're in the political uh, realm and, and these candidates are, are pitching these ideas to us, that, uh, and as you said, and I think uh, James said as well, what we see now and what we hear now may be quite a bit different once one of them gets into office uh, come uh, come uh, the early part of next year. Uh, are, are we sitting in a situation where the plans that, that are here could very well be vastly different once we get to, let's say, March or April of 2017? I think there's no question that the plans would be different. Uh, look back to 1986 when we last had major tax reform. It took three years of negotiations among President Reagan, Dan Rostenkowski, the head of the Ways and Means Committee in the House, and Bob Packwood, the head of the Finance Committee in the Senate, three years of negotiations among the three men to come to uh, a package of tax changes that they could agree on and get through Congress. Uh, that's a lot of changes over a long period of time, and that's really what we're likely to have to see. It's not going to happen overnight. Right. Uh, beyond that, I think what we get from the campaign is a good sense of what each candidate thinks ought to be done with the tax, plan, uh, tax code. Do they think taxes should go up? Who should pay more tax? Do they think taxes should go down? Who should get right. the tax cuts? Where do we want to put our efforts? And that's really a bargaining chip. The first bargaining point they'd go to in negotiations with Congress. It gives you a sense of what they do, but it certainly doesn't show us where we would end up at the end of negotiations. James? Oh, I agree. I mean, you know, uh, Bob and I, you know, are full of, we know all the details of these plans, but, uh, you know, it's a mistake to get hung up in the details because they're right. simply not going to get enacted uh, the way the candidates are proposing them because Congress has their own ideas and they've been working on tax reform for quite some time. Uh, haven't enacted it, of course, but, um, but members of Congress have their own ideas and they get to, you know, uh, get the first bite at this apple. So, yeah, you get a general idea from the candidates of where they stand on these issues, but the details, you know, are not going to be enacted as the candidates have proposed them. And I guess the other interesting thing about this is also, uh, James, that we have so much rhetoric going back and forth between the two candidates that realistically, while the tax plans are, are an issue and they've been brought up in the debates, they are not uh, the number one issue. And look, if I'm looking at a, a diagram that Forbes did uh, that, that kind of broke it down uh, where, you know, between the middle class and low incomes, if you look at what they consider to be the middle class between 45000 and 143000 there's a tax decrease in the Trump plan of $4,000 of about 4%. 
Whereas they're saying with the Clinton uh, middle class, uh, the tax plan, they're saying it would be an increase of $143, which is almost net nothing. And then if you have child uh, child care benefit in there as well, then you're actually maybe saving a little bit of money. So, I mean, if this was something that was publicized, this would potentially maybe have some sort of an effect on the voting patterns in the campaign. Uh, sure. Uh, you know, it depends what depends how realistic people think these plans are. Right. Uh, you know, the you can propose a plan that's got a cut for everybody. Yeah. And, um, you know, and so everybody's going to think they're better off. But here's the problem. Uh, you can't actually cut everybody and not change something else. Right, right. I, I mean, it simply doesn't work that way. You either have to cut government spending or you've got to raise some other tax. I right. mean, plain and simple. Bob? There is no promise of cutting spending on either side. One of the reasons uh, Secretary Clinton wants to raise taxes is to pay for a few relatively small programs she'd like to expand uh, to help people. Uh, on the Trump side, there's absolutely no planned cuts in spending that have been mentioned specifically. Uh, what has been mentioned on the spending side is Trump would not touch Social Security, would not touch Medicare, and would actually spend more money on the military. Uh, once you do that, there's not much left in the budget to come close to cutting things enough to cover the cost of his plan. So that's why the, the Trump campaign has to say we're relying on economic growth to solve the, the deficit problem. And that's, uh, as Jim said, magic. And apologies to Harry Potter fans. There's not much magic in this world. <laughs> we're talking. We're talking. That's that's a great line, by the way. I, I need to save that for later on. Uh, James Hines Jr. joins us. Uh, he is uh, a, a law professor at the University of Michigan. Uh, great to have him on the show uh, here as well uh, as we're talking about uh, the uh, tax plans of our candidates. And James, uh, one of the other issues which has been brought up is also the estate tax, uh, which is, is something that Mr. Trump says he would like to make some significant changes to. Can and could he potentially pull that off? Well, uh, you know, again, if Congress is willing, um, his plan is to eliminate the estate tax, he says. And um, we did, the United States did eliminate the estate tax for the year 2010, but just for the one year. Uh, so it's not that it has never happened, because it has happened. Uh, so he's against the estate tax. Uh, if he's elected, would that mean the estate tax would be eliminated? Well, that's a different question. Um, you know, remains to be seen. Again, depends on what Congress wants to do. Secretary Clinton has proposed going the other way on the estate tax to increase it by raising the rate and um, lowering the amount, you know, the thresholds under which an estate gets taxed and also doing that for gifts. So they go very different directions on the estate and gift tax. Bob Williams from the Tax Policy Center, what about that? Well, right now, only about one out of every 500 deaths results in a taxable estate. Only one okay. in 500 people has enough wealth to be subject to the tax. And in the, uh, as a result, we're not bringing in an awful lot of revenue. Uh, if right. we got rid of the estate tax, the hit on the budget would be maybe 1% of revenue. So it's not a big deal from that perspective. What, it, what matters more is the issue of fairness and distribution. Uh, the argument on the Clinton side is that the wealthy have done very, very well in recent years. They can afford to uh, contribute something more to help pay the costs of government. And if we hit them with a higher estate tax, that'll do something to uh, level out the income and wealth distribution in this country. Uh, the we could get rid of the plan without much revenue loss, but there and and actually most people favor getting rid of the tax. If you look at 
polls, uh, a substantial majority of American people feel that the estate tax is unfair and should be gotten rid of, right. mostly because I think the Republicans have been able to brand it as a death tax. Yep. Now, here you are in mourning, and the government comes knocking at your door and wants your money, uh, which is true, but it's not really the issue. The issue is somebody's got a lot of wealth. A big chunk of that wealth has often not been subject to tax in the past. It's uh, accrued capital gains that have not, never been taxed. If you hold them till death, they pass on to your heirs, uh, subject to the estate tax, but not to the capital gains tax. In fact, the, the Trump plan would, uh, um, while getting rid of the estate tax, would require some taxation of capital gains that has been earned by the person who dies and never paid uh, a tax. Uh, but that's, uh, again, we remains to be seen whether anything can happen along those lines. Uh, what about the issue of the corporate tax rate, which is something that Mr. Trump has brought up about trying to repatriate, uh, you know, a couple trillions, trillion dollars of of wealth, corporate wealth that is being held off uh, offshores right now? Uh, he's kind of alluded that uh, you know he would like to see a, maybe a one-time cut on the t- corporate tax rate, maybe even something further on that. Is that something that's possible, Bob? Well, it could be done. Uh, we've done it in the past. We had a corporate uh, re- repatriation holiday a few years ago uh, that brought a lot of money home. The idea was to bring it home and corporations would invest in American businesses. Uh, in fact, there's not much evidence that the money brought home was invested. Some of yep. it was, but most of it was just used to uh, buy back stocks and uh, prop up the, the value of stocks, uh, pay, pay larger dividends. Uh, it is, in fact, the case that our statutory tax rate of 35% on corporations is higher than virtually any other developed country. Uh, that said, the effective tax rate, the tax that corporations actually pay, varies vastly from close to 35% down to virtually nothing, depending on what industry you're in uh, and how you've invested things. So saying that the tax rate is too high is a blanket statement that fits the corporate tax as a whole. Right. This is Jim's uh, real strength though. So let, let Jim answer the question. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead, Jim. Well, we do have a very high tax rate. Uh, you know, uh, Mr. Trump has, his proposal is to lower it from its current 35% rate to 15, uh, which would be a dramatic reduction. Um, not, you know, I, I mean, not out of line with some other countries. Actually, Britain is uh, headed in that direction. Um, so it's, um, you know, the the problem is it costs a ton of money to yep. lower the rate that much. And, you know, that's a problem. Uh, and there's also, uh, you know, some enforcement problems that come up if the rate is very low, then people try to convert, you know, their ordinary income into corporate income. And you've got to worry about that. Um, there is an international piece to this. And American corporations, I think, correctly complain that the U.S. tax system puts them in a disadvantage compared to British or Canadian or German companies, all of whom, you know, operate under much more favorable tax environments. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's an issue. And this is why American companies have been, you know, uh, inverting, expatriating to countries like Britain and Canada simply because Britain and Canada have more favorable tax systems. Um, Bob's right that just because the tax rate is 35% doesn't mean that all corporations pay 35%. Some do. Um, But I would not not overstate. You know, I think that's been overstated uh, in the press. You know, you can find examples of companies or even some industries where the tax rate is generally low. But the fact is... 
the United States corporate tax burdens are heavier than almost any other country. Um, and that's even after you take into account all the deductions and loopholes and that sort of thing. Um, you know, and it just comes from you've got a really high rate and you've got some breaks. Yes, you do, but not enough to compensate for the really high rate. Also, you know, Britain and Germany and places like that have breaks too. And so you add it up and um, what you worry about is that in the absence of doing something um, to fix it, the U.S. tax system is kind of discouraging companies from doing business in the United States. And obviously nobody wants that. Uh, the question is what you do. And, um, you know, the Trump proposal is a dramatic reduction in rates. Whether that would happen, who knows? Right. It does have a one, as you mentioned, it does have a one-time tax on uh, at 10%, he says, uh, on uh, the unrepatriated profits that American firms have abroad, which is like $2.4 trillion or thereabouts, uh, which would get, you know, one-time revenue. But the problem is, it's just one time, uh, you know, and the tax system really has to operate every year. Uh, so um, whoever is the next president needs to think hard about how to uh, have a business tax you know, uh, system that leaves America competitive. Congress has been working on that. And the president, in fact, President Obama has proposed lowering the corporate tax rate. Uh, so there's kind of agreement that something has to be done. It's just not clear what will be done. Gentlemen, thank you very much for giving us your time today. I, I think we've we've determined from this this discussion that we've still got a long way to go to figure out what's actually going to happen uh, with taxes going forward. Thank you again. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, James Hines, Jr. Uh, from the University of Michigan uh, joining us. He's uh, the research director of the Office of Tax Policy uh, there at that school. Uh, and also uh, great to have on the show uh, Bob Williams uh, from the Tax Policy Center. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.